This is the Monday episode of the Lions Edge presented by BetMGM. Andrew Dowdy and Chase Kitty from BetMGM online at BetMGM.com on your phone with the BetMGM Sportsbook app. Thank you for listening. Today we're doing Monday Night Football, which NFL and college football fan bases are the most pissed off right now. And why are they pissed off? Chase has a mid-episode pick and you teased it to me pre-show as almost a mini card as opposed to just one or two picks. And then we'll do some college football playoff rankings predictions for Tuesday's show. Those are coming at 7 Eastern on Tuesday night. Back to the normal time after last week's in the middle of the Champions Classic. Rams at 49ers. Speaking of a very pissed off fan base at the moment. Rams minus 3.5. Total is 50. Money line Rams minus 185. 49ers plus 155. Niners are 2-6 and six ATS this season, including just one cover in their last six games. Just five covers in their last 17 games, dating back to last November. Rams not particularly hot either. Three-game ATS losing streak, although one of those was that Lions game where they were favored by 17 and they won by 16. Do you have any side, any money on this game? Yes, I mentioned when we did last Thursday's pod and I was going through my NFL card that I had a side on this game, that it is one of my favorite bets of the week, might be one of my favorite bets of the year. I am all over the 49ers here, okay? Since McVay, like since we got to this current coaching status quo here, uh, San Francisco is actually 5-3 and three against the Rams the last eight games, which is like over that span since 2017. Now, you might be thinking, okay, but like, sure, San Francisco's seen better days. Is that stat, does that really still apply here? Like, how about last year when San Francisco was all over the place with injuries? Like, I'm not sure that stat is current. You're right, that stat's not current. It's actually better more recently. So the, the 49ers have actually won four straight against the Rams, three of which they were underdogs and they won outright all three of those times one of which they were favored the three spots where they were the underdogs uh they were a two and a half point underdog a three point underdog and a five point underdog and if those margins sound familiar that's because going into this week right now when we're recording this sunday night the 49ers three and a half point underdog one of the reasons the 49ers have been so bad against the spread this year besides the fact that they're under besides the fact that they're underperforming and they've got some injury problems, not as bad as last year, but still they, they have some injury issues, is the fact that they have been favored in so many games. It's their reputation that's weighing down their ATS record. They're actually only 0-1 as an underdog this year against the spread. They've only been the underdog in one game so far. So the fact that we're now getting them as a home dog, I think is a much different position relative to the rest of this 2021 season, factoring in the dominance that the 49ers have had over the Rams in this current regime. It's schematic. It, it Maybe it's a Jared Goff thing. Maybe it's more of a Sean McVay, how he runs his offense thing. But either way, I love the 49ers in the spot. I have them at plus four because I got it early. I would definitely still take it at three and a half. I'm playing the money line for the outright win on top of it. It is the cherry on top of a really good NFL card that I gave you guys this week. If I can brag on myself for just a second. Had a kind of an okay college card this week. The NFL picks have been absolute fire. Went ahead and ran on top of the, the straight picks. I ran a round robin 
with the Lions, the Raiders, the football team, and the Vikings. So we're recording this Sunday night, so we don't yet know how the Raiders game is going to ultimately shake out. But obviously, we got the win with the football team, the win with the Vikings, and the Lions tie. So I am, I just, I made a lot of money this week. I'm feeling really good. I feel really good about this 49ers pick. The only thing that happened better to me this week than my NFL card was the fact that my girlfriend and I ordered some Indian food like Thursday night. I don't, Andrew, I don't know how you feel about Indian food. Uh, we ordered two entrees and they delivered us, I think, like two full families foods. And you know how it is when you order food right now, they leave it on your door. So there's no real like process for saying, hey, wait, this isn't our food. We just got like 12 different meals of Indian food. I have eaten nothing but Indian food for like four straight days. I don't know if that's responsible for for why my picks are so good right now, but I have the strength of like 12 Indian people inside of me right now with all this Indian food I've eaten. And I'm going to crash at some point, but I feel really good right now. And you're going to you're going to tell how good I feel when we get to the air horn later, because I have so many picks. <laughs> Remember so many when we picks. were doing that one episode and I was, you know, going through a little bit of a, a bout with something. And I think at that time you were eating an entire block of cheese and you said you're probably good in terms of the defecating for like four to five days. That might be the polar opposite of this situation. You taking down two full families worth of Indian food. I have the colon of like a Greek god. Like I'm just, I'm just real strong over here in the colon department. We'll leave it at that. Who is pissed off right now? This came to me on Saturday night because this time of the year is when you're getting coaching changes. You're getting teams that realize they're not going to live up to preseason expectations because there are only so many tickets to the party. Not even the playoff, but so many tickets to the contention party, playing meaningful games in November. And I think that's an interesting conversation on the surface for college football, then also for the NFL, although we're not as far into the season, but I think we'll probably touch both of them here. But I think what's what makes it really interesting is why all of these fan bases are pissed off because it is a variety of reasons. I have several college football teams in consideration. I joked before the show, you could probably put like 85 teams into this bucket and say why they're pissed off, if not more 100 or 110. I have 12 teams that I don't necessarily need to talk about, but I have in consideration. Among them, I only have one G5 team. Do you have any G5 teams in this? Yes. Who is it? Can you even imagine a time where an FBS school lost back-to-back games to an FCS school? Okay, you're assuming that UMass has... A fan contingent. I think their 14 fans are probably pretty unhappy right now, if I had to guess. I get that it's UMass and they suck, but this is like a historic level of sucking. And I felt like they at least, I had to put some disrespect on their name by including them on this list. I have Cincinnati on my list. Understandable. I get it. Because this is your year. Like Indiana was supposed to be good and you get that win you get the Notre Dame win, and there are different levels of pissed off here. Are they just pissed off at the committee? Are they pissed off because they're barely beating really bad teams? And even though with the Oklahoma loss and some things still could work out in their favor to get in, I get that this is a better season than like a more enjoyable season in terms of them being the national picture. But week to week, I don't know if it would be that much fun to be a Cincinnati fan right now. Here's what I think it is. I think it's... and. 
if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm in the Cincinnati corner, all right? I, I am I am hoping things work out for you. But I think a big place where that anger might come from is the fact that deep down, I think a lot of these fans know they probably should be winning some of these games by wider margins if they want to make their case. And the fact that they're not, the fact that they're a little bit more competitive the last month had changed, you you have to kind of lean into the anger over the injustice of it all as a G5 school. I think you have to kind of run away from that voice, that little voice inside you saying, yeah, but we probably should be, probably should be beating, you know, Tulsa by more, probably, shouldn't we? San Francisco was an underdog against the Cardinals, by the way. Yes. The number one most pissed off fan base in either the NFL or college football is your Texas Longhorns. Absolutely. Hard to agree. There is everything here. There's embarrassment. They're sick of the mediocrity. I don't know if Texas fans are expecting them to be competing for national championships, but I think they are expecting them to be in that 9-3 and to 11-1 and ballpark every single year. And even before Kansas scored that first touchdown, I get that the stadium was mostly full. They were cheering, kind of. They appeared to be into the game. But it did not feel like a Kansas, or excuse me, a Texas fan base that was super invested and super interested and super optimistic about this program moving forward. $20 million buyout for Sarkeesian. You're not firing your coach. And we can get to Washington maybe in a little bit. But I think once you're able to fire your coach, it's kind of like the NFL draft where it just changes to optimism. Who are we going to get next? That's why everyone everyone was so excited. They were so pissed off at Tom Herman and Texas last year. And then you make the move, optimistic. You go out and get Sarkeesian, whom I would say was generally widely applauded as a good hire. They took a shot and they are able to do it without anybody noticing it. But I think with Texas, you get a little bit of everything here. Being that national punchline is something that Texas just not does not want to be right now. Yeah, and they look, they bring it on themselves. It's, uh, I mean, lots of ink has been spilled over the caustic relationship around the program with all these big donors and all these expectations that are coming from outside of the room. And you have success being defined unrealistically from outside of the program. You have a bunch of boosters that are not willing to be patient about anything. You're firing your coach every three or four years. They haven't been really right since Mac Brown left. And then you have that old enemy, the Kansas Jayhawks, walking through the door. I don't know. If you, <laughs> I, don't know I was going to say, I don't know if you want to take a victory lap on uh, on your Jayhawks. And I know we make the your team joke a lot on this podcast, but Kansas is actually your team. This is where you went to school. So uh, Andrew Dowdy taking a victory lap. For his football Feels team, good. not something Feels that good. happens very often on this podcast. Number two on my list is Florida, and they are what Texas was last year. Fire the coach angry. I don't care what the buyout is. We should not be giving up 52 points to Samford. This is a little bit of embarrassment, but it's more so just pure anger from Florida. I have them number two behind Texas. I have them fourth on my list, but I mean, what do they give up? 42 to Samford in the first half. I mean, that's bad, man. And, and that's that's a pretty understandable level of anger. I don't know how you get there. Like, the the level of athlete that Samford has versus Florida, it's just not even close. And like, hey, all respect to Devlin Hodges and company. I mean, 
they have had some some pretty decent teams here in the last couple years. I'm not sure that this year's is one of them. And the fact that they can just go into the swamp and score 42 before the break, like that's just that's not being prepared, and that's that's letting all of the noise in Gainesville get it get ahead of you and where your game plan is, where your team is. Um, so I, I think some of the Florida people need to chill a little bit because. I mean, they're one year removed from a pretty nice showing, but it, their their anger is justified in that the product on the field merits that level of frustration. We've tiptoed around this before because calling into question the effort of players, especially in college, and I know that my opinion of criticizing college athletes has changed a little bit now that they are making money. A lot of these guys are making six figures. My opinion I'm more willing to criticize student athletes for not making a play here and there. But when a fan goes to a game and I'm sorry, some of those plays there, like the effort wasn't there. It was extremely clear. And even though fan entitlement drives me crazy because fans aren't entitled to anything. When you have college football fans like that, and you have donors paying that kind of money to go get Dan Mullen to fire two consecutive coaches. So that's one piece of it. Like I, as a fan, I paid this money and this is the effort. The second piece is what I said. It, it, fire the coach angry because like this this was your guy. Like You have your or had, I guess, because it doesn't seem like Mullen is going to survive this. You had your guy, and Florida might have wanted Chip Kelly, and maybe they would have hired Scott Frost if he had called them back before they ultimately went to Mullen. But after Will Muschamp, after Jim McElwain, who, to be fair, both seemed like pretty good hires at the time, like Dan Mullen was the guy. This was your guy. This was one of the most widely lauded hires in college football that I can remember. He was going to be that guy who was going to go 10 and 2, 11 and 1, 12 and 0 every single season. Finally get up to the point where you're like a Georgia. Maybe you're not winning national championships, but you're right there. So I think there's almost like a little bit of sadness associated with this because if he's not your guy, who are you going to go out and hire? So you think. You think he's gone, based I on think what he's you just done. said. I don't know if he's gone like tomorrow or talking to us on, on Sunday, so on Monday, but I think he's done. That's surprise. I mean, they're a year removed from the SEC title game. The only thing that could keep him there is Scott Strickland, who worked with him at Mississippi State and hire him there, and that's why he didn't want to hire Dan Mullen away from Mississippi State because Strickland's a Mississippi native. He worked at Mississippi State, came back there, was the AD. He even said that he told Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, that's what I was citing with Scott Frost and Chip Kelly. So the relationship with Scott Strickland, I think, is the only thing that would keep him there. But ultimately, you need to do what the money says. And if Scott Strickland has all of these donors calling him, I can't remember what the buyout is, $12 million or something for Dan Mullen, and the money is there, and they're not going to make more donations, ultimately, Scott Strickland is at the mercy of that money. And I don't know if that relationship can save him. Yeah, I think Mullins, maybe he makes it to next year, but I'd be pretty shocked. I, this is not a long-term solution for Florida Dan Mullen. Who do you have two and three then? I know ahead of time you're going to disagree with this, so I'll, I'll, I'll lead with that. I have Miami at two, and this is a purely short-term thing. I just think looking through a lot of these games that were played this week where we have a lot of angry fan bases, all right, Penn State's upset about how the Michigan game went. All right, Washington's upset and they fired their coach. All right, Florida's upset about their performance against Stanford. Sanford. A lot of those games don't really matter. Uh, you, you're already talking about teams that were out of contention for the things that, that really matter. 
Miami was playing a rivalry game against Florida State, so the game itself, we're not sure, really counted for much. But rivalry games are things that matter in college football. And the way they lost that game, that's not great. I I would encourage you to go back and watch uh, the spike that ended the game if you didn't see it. There was a lot that went on on Saturday, so I would understand if you missed it. But I have Miami at two just because that's an awful way to lose a game against a a rival. And three, I have A&M because... Again, this is a short-term thing. There aren't long-term issues at play here. But the fact that A&M played themselves into having a real lane into the SEC championship game and they can't score any points in the first half against an Ole Miss defense that is, it's improved. It's not like one of the better units in the SEC and they can't get on the board until after halftime when, when that game is then at least in terms of game script, kind of out of hand. Like, I would be pretty upset about that because you you let your expectations get built up and up and up over the course of the last month and change. You have the Alabama game. It feels like you're building towards something. And then to go out a couple weeks really before you maybe expected to, uh, I I think that's that's a more substantive reason to be upset than some of these other teams. I have A&M three, and I agree with all what you said. I actually put them and Penn State together because I think they fall under the bucket of, are we ever going to win the big games consistently? And I get that A&M got the Alabama win, and I'm not going to say that doesn't mean anything for the program, but it doesn't really mean anything this year because then you go out and lose a game like this where you said you just can't even score points against like a fringe top 40 or 50 defense, and both these coaches, yeah, they're doing enough, I don't want to get into like the, the whole are they overpaid thing because they we know they're good coaches and they've won elsewhere. I just don't know if because you're not winning the big ones that I don't, I don't know how I'm trying to frame this. They're not winning the big ones. Are we ever going to win the big games consistently? If we can't do it with these highly paid coaches, are we really going to fire them not knowing what's next? I mean, like who does Penn State hire? Who does A&M go and get? These teams are like in the NBA draft dead zone where it's the 32, 34, 35 win teams every single season. You're not bad enough to get a top three pick, but you're just not good enough to ever contend for anything. And it's not like you're going to make any dramatic changes here. So it's almost like a, like a depression. I don't mean to use that word like that, but you just, you don't know what to do and you feel helpless because of it. I think Jimbo is probably fine. It does feel like the Franklin stuff is starting to get stale. I mean, he's been there longer than you realize. I, I It might have been you and me a couple weeks ago, or it might have been some, some other podcast I was listening to. But yeah, I mean, he's been there like eight years, and it doesn't feel like it's been that long, but it has. The Penn State thing, I just I can't rank as highly as the, the A&M thing here on my list because they're already out of it. They're, they're already lost to Illinois, Ohio State, Iowa, like, This game didn't matter to anybody but Michigan, and in hindsight, maybe that's, I I didn't hear anybody say this, but maybe that's why siding with Michigan, which I didn't do, I was on the Penn State side, and I was feeling good there toward the end. Maybe that's why Michigan ends up being the smart play, in hindsight, because Michigan had something to play for. I don't really know if Penn State did. But it's still the the same, that's what I mean, is it's still the same shit over and over again. Like that, it just keeps compounding, and whatever his record is against top ten teams, and like like two and ten, they've lost seven or eight straight. It is, he is in his eighth season. 
I think that's why they're so pissed off because it's just one loss after another. And you have to wonder with all this talent that they're bringing in, they have another great recruiting class coming in. Like at, is it a coaching issue at some point? Can you figure out offensive schemes that are going to work against better than bad defenses? Like they, they have just never figured this out, how to move the ball against semi-competent or good defenses. So I think they've reached the point where probably they've been doing this longer than AM has. Maybe if, if it's Jimbo two years from now and he's still losing games like this to Ole Miss, maybe then they're at the point of Penn state. Who's your, four? we can move on. I don't have anyone below that because I feel like you could put Iowa state there, Oklahoma, that's where I kind of wanted to talk about the whole Cincinnati thing. I think that Auburn deserves a mention. Nebraska deserves a mention. If we're combining NFL with this, I think the Jets are kind of in that ballpark of when are we going to finally do something? I know you, I think it was on Spaces or on, on the podcast last week. We were, we were like, guys, let's let's tone back yeah, the, the Mike, Mike White, White thing. Was out of control. I mean, and then I think the Jets fans saw that and they're like, hey, maybe we missed on Zach Wilson, but Mike White. Maybe. Turns out, no. Is it too early to send Mike White's jersey to Canton? Like, I, I think I told the story on the podcast last week about how I saw somebody say, like, call Mike White a legendary quarterback. Like, can we calm the hell down a little bit? So it was a lot of that. And, you and know, I know not- we don't want to, like, relitigate things, but there are signs, like, from the Bengals game. I don't think he threw a ball beyond 15 yards at the line of scrimmage, and the Bengals just played terrible defense in that game. I don't want to relitigate that, but, I mean, you were right on that. So the point being is that the Jets fans, not that they were, like, all over Zach Wilson. They thought he was going to be their savior, but he comes out, looks terrible. Maybe he could end up having a decent career. And then Mike White comes in, and he looks like what you would hope a franchise quarterback looks like, and <laughs> turns out he's not that guy. Well, I think just a couple of quick things uh, while we're here on this topic, and then we can move on. Number one, this actually happens all the time. You have a backup come in. He's not expected. There's no tape on him. The first defense that plays him, they're sitting in base. They're sitting in vanilla. They don't really know how to play him because the tape doesn't exist. And he lights him up, and and you get sort of a surprise win. And then as there's tape on the guy, he starts to look like a backup. So that part, not surprising at all. Uh, I forgot what the other point is. But, I mean, just... You know, re- relax on the Mike White stuff. So anyways, I want to see who you have next, because I think there are just different arguments for all those teams. I very clearly had Texas, Florida, Penn State and Texas A&M in that top four for me. I just don't know what to do with all those teams beyond that. Um, I had Texas, Miami, A&M, Florida, UMass. And then I have a section called uh, Others Receiving Angry Votes, which included Auburn. I don't know how you give up 40 unanswered man. <laughs> Like they were in total, I mean, they completely Falcons did. They were up 28 to three. They were literally up 28 to three and gave up 40 unanswered. I don't know how you do that. I really don't. Oklahoma, I mean, look, cry about it. I'm sorry. The, the Being upset about the field goal when it was obviously for the tiebreaker, like, I don't care. And then, you know what? You played with fire all year. It's November, you were undefeated, and you'd won like two games by more than one score. So they, they, they played with fire forever this year. They finally got burnt. Spoiler alert, uh, we're, we're going to be on the Iowa State side this week because I just I think Oklahoma State can, or Oklahoma continues to be really overrated. So uh, I know I, I don't feel bad for Oklahoma people at all. Sorry. Can we do a minute on Iowa State since you mentioned them there? And that 
kind of like goes into the Cincinnati thing a little bit. Like this was our year. I think you had Iowa State in your playoff predictions, right? I believe I did. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're Iowa State. We're not supposed to be doing this as a program, but we've been building toward this. And we are in this spot where we have so much talent coming back. We have so many all-conference, potential All-American type of players. The schedule set up, I think, nicely, as nice as it can for a nine-game conference season. You get that big opportunity against Iowa early, and you look horrific. You look horrific in your opener against a not-so-great FCS team. And now, all of a sudden, I don't know if Iowa State is sitting there saying, hey, we still have Matt Campbell. Let's pick up the pieces and make another run next year or in two years because it doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. Or is it, when is this ever going to happen for us? Because I don't think Iowa State fans at any point over the last 15 years are saying, we want to be in that national championship contention. You've talked about West Virginia fans before where you personally know that West Virginia is not an annual playoff contender type of team. If everything comes together perfectly, like once every 15 years, sure, maybe they can contend for a playoff spot. But I think Iowa State kind of sits in that too. And because their expectations have now been altered because they almost beat Oklahoma last year, they've shown they can win the big games and they had the talent coming back. And now at what point does Iowa State say like in a very winnable Big 12, how can we not do it this year? And when are we ever going to do it? That has to be frustrating. Well, I think... One way they one way they might look at it is they might say, okay, going forward, we're going to be more even more of a player in this conference than we have been before because Oklahoma and Texas are going to leave. So somebody has to step into that power vacuum. I would argue it actually might be Cincinnati, but I'm sure the people in Ames feel like, hey, we've got as good a shot as anybody. I think Iowa State and Indiana are two teams that have been absolutely ravaged by regression to the mean this year. And with Indiana, it's particularly bad because I think it's happened to them in a way where they they lost some games early and not so much that they quit, but it just these things snowball. And, and when you have something to believe in like last year where they were just having this insane season and like every time the ball could bounce one way or the other, it always bounced their way. This year, it feels like you feel unlucky, and so you play unlucky. And they just, I mean, they just got romped by Rutgers at home. It's just, it's its not good there. And I think Iowa State, you're seeing a similar thing where, you know, one, one of the bits of analysis we talked about in the offseason was, hey, Iowa State, like, they're good enough to win 10 games, but have they ever won 10? I can't remember if it was, they've never won 10 games or they did once and it was like 45 years ago. But either way, like, you're you're talking about, the the win total number for them was set in a way where they were going to, if they were going to go over, they were going to have a historic season. And I would argue that they're better than the six and four record that they have right now, but not much better. Like this is a good, not great kind of team with a good, not great quarterback. They're like a seven and three, like top 40 kind of team. And this is about what happens when you have a good season oftentimes you see regression so I, like I, I thought they would be better than this and maybe I thought they would be a little more fortunate that they have been a little more lucky but this they're a good team that's lost some close games had some calls go against them that kind of thing and that's where they're at massive air horn card I mentioned already Iowa State you can get them at plus six and a half at BetMGM I am running over there to take that 
Uh, nothing about Oklahoma says that they win games by multiple possessions. They beat the crap out of Texas Tech. They want to. They they I think technically beat Kansas by multiple scores, but we all watched that game. We know what happened. Uh, I mean the, the the Texas game, the West Virginia game. They just lost to Baylor. Like the just look at the totality of their season. You cannot lay six and a half with Oklahoma right now. It's Iowa State or pass. I would also look at Arizona plus 15 and a half. Maybe you're not getting the best of the number if you bet it early, but Arizona has actually covered four games in a row, including this past weekend where they actually looked pretty solid against Utah. They actually got their first win in God knows how many games two weeks ago against Cal. So against a Washington State team that is not overly impressive, like I wouldn't want to lay 14 and change against this Arizona team behind Washington State. So I think Arizona is the side there. We'll probably talk more about that game on Thursday when I have some more data. College basketball, a couple of games I'm looking at. And I believe these are Monday night games. Buffalo is at North Texas. Buffalo might be a, a more uh, household basketball brand. They're a road one and a half point favorite. I like North Texas here. Don't forget, this is the team that beat Purdue in the NCAA tournament last week. Or last, last season, I should say. So I like North Texas as the short home dog. It kind of feels like they're hanging it in a way where your eye goes straight to Buffalo. Like, oh yeah, I'll take them as a short road favorite. It's basically a pick em. And in reality, North Texas is, is the right side. Also Monday night, interesting game here. Central Michigan at Eastern Illinois. So neither one of these teams are particularly good, right? You've got a bad team, Central Michigan, Ken Palm 308. At Eastern Illinois, a horrific team, Ken Palm 341. So we're talking about like one of the bottom 10 teams in all of Division I college basketball. They hang Eastern Illinois as the favorite here. And, and again, this feels like a spot where they're kind of trying to use a short favorite status to direct where you're putting your money. I have no illusions about who is betting on a Central Michigan Eastern Illinois college basketball game. But I do think reading the number here that Central Michigan is the right side. I'm guessing not a lot of people are going to look at this and go, hmm, let me investigate their metrics. Let's see what the Ken Palm rating is. If you're going to bet it and you're a public better, you're probably just looking at Eastern Illinois at home not having to lay many points. They're both 0-2. Let me just go with Eastern Illinois here. So I'm on the Central Michigan side there at the plus 1.5, just like I'm on the North Texas plus 1.5 side. The only difference being uh, the Mean Green is at home. One last pick for you. Very long air horn segment, but I just have a lot of picks that I liked uh, coming off this weekend. How about a little puck line, Andrew Dowdy? The New Jersey Devils. You can get them Tuesday night at home, laying one and a half at plus 150. So we're on the puck line here. If you don't bet a lot of hockey, uh, the puck line, very much like the run line in baseball where they have to win by two or more. So, New Jersey Devils minus one and a half, plus 150. They are playing the Ottawa Senators, who are not only not a very good team, but also uh, doing a little research here tonight, Sunday night. Ottawa has massive COVID issues. They actually have, as of right now, if this holds through Tuesday, as of right now, they have nine healthy players on the roster. So, this is a good spot to go against them Tuesday night with the Devils land the puck line for plus 150 return. <laughs> Let's talk college football playoff rankings. Those coming out again on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock Eastern. 
I have two big questions here that I want to ask you. Number one, does Ohio State hop Oregon? I say yes. The argument here is very simple. Even though we don't know what that margin is, they have remained they they had remained consistent with the head-to-head stuff until we got to the Michigan-Michigan State thing. I think now that they kind of put their balls on the table with the Michigan-Michigan State thing, they can now say, hey, we can ignore head-to-head at any point because we just did it. And now that they're ignoring the head-to-head of Ohio State-Oregon, the argument here is, is that Ohio State just obliterated Purdue. That game was over after, I think, Purdue scored their early like touchdown to tie it. it was over. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it was one quarter. That game was over after like 10 minutes. They made an absolute statement over a team that the committee showed they liked. I think Purdue was number 19. That's the argument there. I say yes, that Ohio State does hop Oregon. What do you say? Well, what if I take it one step further? What if I go full galaxy brain here? What if the committee last week ranked Michigan over Michigan State to undo their head-to-head precedent so that this week they could put Ohio State ahead of Oregon. Oh, I love it. You like that? I just, on the fly, I don't even have that written down. That feels too much like your, they're going to rank Cincinnati number two in the first (laughs) rankings because it gives them the most flexibility and turns out that flopped. I think there's a possibility Ohio State could move to number two over Bama, but I don't think that will happen. At this point, I don't even want to predict it because last week kind of blew me away, but I have Georgia 1, Bama 2. I do have Ohio State 3 and Oregon 4. The second question I have, does Michigan hop Cincinnati? I have a yes here, and I have Michigan 5, Cincinnati 6. And the committee has talked about, Gary Barter specifically, has talked about they're just not impressed with the teams that Cincinnati is playing. And when you go and I know that that South Florida game wasn't as close as the score suggested throughout. Cincinnati dominated most of that game, but it's still not a great performance for a team that should be competing for a playoff spot. And when you have Michigan going into a tough environment and maybe the margin where they are putting Michigan versus Michigan state was so slim that going into Penn state and winning that game proved something to the committee and now they put Michigan 5, which would put Cincinnati at 6, and Michigan State 7. So I do have Michigan hopping Cincinnati this week. So on one hand, you have to say, how much does the committee value a win over 6-4 and four Penn State relative to, what is South Florida, 2-8? and eight? So I mean, obviously nobody's here to, to stump for South Florida being a good win, but and I think I've even seen Gary say, like, oh, we, we think Penn State's a good win. Like, we value that win, even though they're not in the top 25. And, and very good chance they never I think will he be said something point. like last week, we spent a lot of time talking about Penn State potentially being in the top 25. So, obviously, they didn't have Penn State, like, right. outside of the top three. Right. And, and it's, what, Penn State has two, two wins, I think, over teams currently ranked in the top 25. So... I think they're going to value that highly. Will they value it highly enough for Michigan to jump Cincinnati, even though Michigan is a one-loss team? And their, I don't think their wins are anything to really lose, you know, lose your stuff about. I, I don't know. I would say based on the trajectory we've been on, yeah, I could, I would not be surprised if Michigan jumped Cincinnati, uh, just because of how they have talked about Cincinnati. It has been pretty dismissive 
So I would say I would expect to see Michigan ahead of Cincinnati. Now, I don't think it matters. I kind of briefly said, could Ohio State hop Alabama? I think that would matter because an Ohio State would be at two. And if you had a two loss Ohio State team, meaning that they would either lose to Michigan or Michigan State, would there be a big enough gap between Ohio State and Cincinnati where Cincinnati could then top a Michigan State? Because if there's a Michigan State or a Michigan, excuse me, top an Ohio State, because if there's a Michigan or a Michigan State, that's a one-loss team that wins a Big Ten championship game. Obviously, they're in, but if they put Ohio State at number two right now, and Cincinnati is even five or six, if Ohio State were lo- were to lose to Michigan or Michigan State and then finish as the 10-2 and two non-divisional champion, I know that people would lose their damn minds, but just going off of their rankings, if Ohio State is two and they're three or four spots ahead of Cincinnati, and Cincinnati just doesn't really play anybody, is that a big enough gap? I don't think they're going to put Ohio State two. Are they going to have the conversation that I just laid out? Because if they do that, could they drop Ohio State, you know, four full spots as Cincinnati plays another bad American team and barely wins? But I think that is a more interesting discussion in terms of how Cincinnati could get left out than will Cincinnati fall behind Michigan or Michigan State right now? Because if Ohio State wins this weekend, Michigan State is completely irrelevant. Then if Ohio State beats Michigan, Michigan will drop below Cincinnati. There's still the Oregon problem. There's still a problem of getting two SEC teams in there. I think there's next to no chance Ohio State's number two. I I don't. That seems like a really dramatic move for the committee to oh, make. Oh, it does for sure. For, to move them multiple spots up, just just because what Texas A Texas A&M lost and Alabama basically had a bye week because they beat the crap out of New Mexico State and Ohio State beat a Purdue team that's probably going to fall back out of the rankings now. Uh, that that seems like a pretty dramatic move based on that. I think I could see them jumping Oregon. I wouldn't be surprised about that, but I don't think they're going to jump Alabama this week. And maybe I'm just recklessly speculating because I was so shocked by the Michigan-Michigan State thing that I'm trying to run through any scenario of how I believe the committee might overreact. And I don't even know if it would be overreacting to Purdue because if they did think Purdue was number 19 in the country, I get that Purdue will probably fall out. Maybe they'd hang out at number 25. I don't know. But they still think highly of Purdue, just like they thought highly of Penn State last week. Like, do they think less of Penn State this week than they did last week because they lost to Michigan at home? Probably not that much worse, but I agree with you. I'd be pretty shocked, but because of what the committee did last week, my, my brain is kind of spinning. Anything else in these rankings? I mean, we said before the show that we don't even really want to go down and talk about Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Wake Forest, Baylor. I just don't think there's any substance there, especially with Oklahoma State and Baylor, because that conference is out, and therefore you're not really talking about any strength of schedule metrics at all for Oklahoma State and Baylor. I think Oklahoma, for example, drops to 13, which I think the Big 12 at this point is just done. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned briefly when we were kind of sketching out the outline for this episode, you mentioned to me off the air, like, hey, do you want to do, like, Wake Forest versus Baylor? And I was like, no, (laughs) because who cares? Neither one of them are getting in. The ACC is done. The Big 12 is probably done. Like, let's keep it moving here. So, I I mean, like, am I interested as a Big 12 fan in how they're going to shake those teams out and where they're going to fall? Absolutely, yes. But in, in the context of the actual playoff, like, Oklahoma is not coming back, and they, they probably shouldn't have been at eight to begin with. Because, I mean, you we talked already about the disrespect we saw with Oklahoma, which was deserved, because... They hadn't really been impressive at all. Like, just because you're undefeated 
doesn't mean that's impressive. It's impressive that you haven't lost, but it doesn't mean you like should be on this magical path to the playoffs. So I think Oklahoma is probably going to be slotted appropriately. Uh, and yeah, the Big 12 seems like they're out. Thursday morning, new episode of the Lion's Edge. Looking at NFL, that'll be week 11 betting starting with Thursday night football. Also college football week 12 betting. Send any topics or questions, specific games, lines, whatever to at the Lion's Edge on Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Lion's Edge presented by BetMGM. We'll see you back here on Thursday morning.